Welcome to today's episode of our award-winning podcast. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we have a really exciting topic for you. Predicting risk-reward ratio in financial markets for asset management using machine learning. That's right, Jen. It sounds a bit intimidating, but don't worry. We'll break it down for you in an intuitive and engaging way. Let's start with the introduction. Financial markets are complex beasts, always changing and full of unexpected twists. Absolutely, Jen. And predicting how these markets will move is crucial for investors looking to manage their assets effectively. Enter machine learning, the hero of our story. With machine learning, we have a shot at forecasting these unpredictable markets. Now, why is this significant? Well, having accurate predictions can mean the difference between a wise investment and a costly mistake. The paper we're discussing today introduces a new algorithm for forecasting profit and loss outcomes from trades, which is pretty exciting. Moving into our core discussion, these researchers have taken on the challenge of not only predicting market trends, but also the outcomes of trades. They've used a mix of techniques like regression models, classification, and even something called triple barrier labeling. You might be wondering, what's the big deal about these results? Well, their findings could revolutionize traditional trading strategies. Right, Tom. And applying these findings means potentially more profitable trades with better risk management. Wrapping up, this study has opened doors for enhancing trading decisions using machine learning to measure and optimize the profitability of each trade. We'll reflect on this further, but one thing is clear. The implications of this research are vast and could lead to more sophisticated trading systems. There you have it, folks. We hope you now have a greener understanding of how machine learning can be used in financial markets for asset management. We sure dove deep into the risk-reward ratio today, but as always, there's more to explore. And we'll be here to guide you through it all. Thanks for joining us on this financial deep dive. Until next time, happy trading. And don't forget, stay curious, stay informed, and keep learning. This is Jen. And Tom, signing off. See you next episode. Are you ready to make some noise across the cosmos? Then it's time to open your ears to our latest sponsor, Galacti Cornucopias. Yes, with their incredible Galacti horn, you can toot your way to an intergalactic spectacular. Summon a cadre of comets or orchestrate an opera of orbiting ovals, all with the power of your puff. Picture it, you're floating through the starry expanse, stomach rumbling like a black hole. No worries, just whisper snack attack into your Galacti horn and bam, Asteroid shower of appetizers. Delicious and definitely weird. And talk about convenience, Tom. Need to hitch a ride on an interplanetary taxi? A quick toot-toot and you're zooming through the Zebulon sector in style. But it's not all fun and games. Remember, folks, with a great horn comes great responsibility. So if you accidentally conjure a Quasar Quartet in Quadrant Q, well, that's on you. But hey, that sounds pretty harmonious, doesn't it? Absolutely, Jen. So don't delay. Give a toot to Galactic Cornucopias today and let your desires be horn-blasted into reality. Galactic Cornucopias, because if it doesn't exist, they can toot it into existence. Now back to our show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of our podcast. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Jen. Today we've got quite the electrifying topic, don't we, Tom? That's right, Jen. We're delving into a crucial issue 
affecting one of Africa's major economic hubs. The impact of electricity blackouts and poor infrastructure on the livelihoods of residents and the local economy of Johannesburg, South Africa. If you're thinking, wait, what exactly are electricity blackouts? We're here to illuminate the subject. Simply put, an electricity blackout is a total loss of power in a given area. Imagine you're cooking dinner and poof, everything shuts off. No lights, no stove, and if you had the TV on, that's gone too. And Johannesburg, which is the largest city in South Africa and a major economic powerhouse on the continent, has been experiencing these blackouts frequently. It's troubling not just because people need electricity for daily activities, but because it's a pulsing vein for businesses and the economy. We're basing our discussion on a research paper with a lengthy title, The Impact of Electricity Blackouts and Poor Infrastructure on the Livelihood of Residents and the Local Economy of City of Johannesburg, South Africa. This paper is significant because it touches on a fundamental aspect of city planning and economic stability, energy supply. And we're going to break down the complex vocabulary and concepts like energy transition and sustainable livelihood as we go along. We'll make sure everyone's on the same page, whether you're a seasoned economist or someone just curious about city planning. Kicking off with the core of the paper, the research objectives aim to examine the negative effects caused by blackouts, look into the economic fallout, assess the impact on people's social and economic well-being, and evaluate strategies aimed at improving the situation. They used mixed methods in their research, combining both qualitative and quantitative approaches. The quantitative side included surveys filled out by citizens and business owners, which showed, among other things, that a whopping 97% of participants felt a negative impact at their workplaces during blackouts. And on the qualitative side, stories from residents and observations really put a human face on the statistics. It's one thing to see the numbers, it's another to hear about the struggles of families trying to make dinner or students unable to study for exams. One of the key findings was the ripple effect on the economy. A loss of productivity equals a loss of income. Not surprising when you realize that power outages disrupt everything from assembly lines to computer servers. It's like a domino effect, Tom, and it does not bode well for a city that contributes a hefty chunk to South Africa's GDP. The study's implications are clear. Reliable electricity is the backbone of a thriving city. And in their conclusion, the researchers didn't just identify the problem, they offered solutions too. For instance, they recommended the city pass bylaws to encourage the use of solar panels in residential areas, which is a more sustainable energy source. Now, as personal reflections, Tom and I find the broader relevance of this study lies in its message that energy stability is not just a local issue, it's global. Absolutely. The problem might center on Johannesburg, but cities around the world can learn from this research, especially as we move towards greener energy sources. It's been quite a deep dive today, but what do you say, Tom? Have we shed enough light on the subject? I'd say so, Jen. We hope you found this episode enlightening and that it sparks further discussion about the importance of sustainable energy infrastructure. Don't forget to follow us for more informative talks. This has been Jen. And Tom, signing off. Thanks for listening, and we'll chat with you on the next episode. Stay powered up, everyone. And now, a word from our sponsor. Do you ever stare into the night sky and think, gee, 
I wish my kite could tango with a comet? Well, wish upon a shooting star no more with quantum breezeways, cosmic kite extravaganza. Our kites don't just fly. They warp through space-time with the grace of a ballerina and the strength of a cosmic cyclone. Strap on your space boots and grab the Orion's Belt Racer. It's like the Indy 500 for stars, with more LED lights than a supernova disco. Or if you're feeling hot, 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 go for the Solar Flare Swooper. It's the only kite that can handle the sun's paparazzi flashes without melting. And let's not forget about the kid's favorite, the galactic jellyfish. It'll have you saying, is that an alien invasion? Nope, just my kite. Plus, each kite comes with a quantum physics lesson, so mind-bending, your brain will do somersaults. You could even be a celestial celebrity with our hyperspace streaming service, putting your face on planets you've never heard of. So, come on down to Quantum Breezeways, where our motto is, why just reach for the stars when you can fly a kite with them? Quantum Breezeways, cosmic kite extravaganza. The sky's not the limit, it's the starting line. Back to the show after this interstellar message. Welcome to our podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Tom, and with me is the brilliant Jen. Hi there, and thanks, Tom. I'm super excited about the episode we have lined up today. Absolutely, Jen. We're diving deep into a topic that even for experienced traders and mathematicians might seem like a new frontier. That's right, Tom. We're talking about super hedging European options. But with a twist, it's all about doing this with integer valued strategies. If you're already scratching your head, don't worry. We're going to unpack everything, including why this is such a groundbreaking area of study. This comes from a recent paper with a title that might intimidate some, a short note on super hedging an arbitrary number of European options with integer valued strategies. Now, when we talk about hedge funds and investments, a lot of the science behind it can be abstract, but today we'll make it as down to earth and intuitive as possible. So whether you're interested in finance, mathematics, or just love to nerd out on complex systems, this episode will have something for everyone. Let's start with some background. Hedging, in investment terms, is like taking out insurance. It's about reducing your risk. A common method for this is through options, like European options, which give you the right to buy or sell an asset at a certain price before a certain date. European options are different from American options, principally because they can only be exercised at the end of their term, not before. And when we start talking about super hedging, we're discussing strategies that ensure we can fulfill these options no matter how the market behaves. Exactly, Jen. But the conventional models, like the black skulls, assume you can trade fractions of an asset. That's not possible in real life. You can't buy half a stock. Which is what brings us to the crux of the paper by Dorsaf Sharif, Maryam El-Mansour, and Emmanuel Pinet. They're exploring what happens when you limit strategies to integer values, whole numbers, since that's what happens in actual trading. The paper begins by noting that there's not much in the literature about this, surprisingly, given how critical it is to real-world trading. They show that you can indeed work out the minimum super-hedging price with these integer-valued strategies, which is a big deal. The researchers use what's called a dynamic programming principle, which means they solve complex problems by breaking them down into simpler subproblems. They focus on claims that are piecewise affine functions of the underlying asset. Think of it like a claim payoff that increases in chunks, not smoothly. And here's the kicker. 
their approach doesn't just give you the minimum price. It also suggests the optimal strategy to achieve it. Now, the paper doesn't solve every problem. It's a complex field, and they acknowledge that more work is needed for general payoffs and other types of supports for asset prices. But what they establish here is significant. It's a stepping stone into new territory, providing a practical foundation for others to build upon. And what are the implications of this? Well, for one, it could lead to better computational models for trading, reflecting what traders can actually do on the ground. This could influence everything from individual investment strategies to the algorithms used by the biggest hedge funds in the world. And as always, there are caveats. The real world is messy, markets can be unpredictable, and models, no matter how sophisticated, can't account for every twist and turn. So our take on this paper, it's a fascinating glimpse into the future of finance, a place where theoretical mathematics meets the trading floor. In sum, it's about bringing one of the most fundamental aspects of market models closer to reality. We'll keep an eye on where this research heads next. It's bound to shake things up in ways we can only begin to imagine. And that wraps up our deep dive for today. If you loved learning about the math behind the markets, be sure to subscribe for more episodes. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another topic designed to bend your brain in the best way possible. Until next time. Goodbye and stay curious, everyone. Have you ever wanted to add some sparkle to your sprockets, Jen? I can't say I've ever had a sprocket to sparkle, Tom. Well, folks, whether you have sprockets or not, you're going to want to hear about our sponsor, Goblin Beard's Glittery Gadgets and Gadgetry. That's right. Goblin Beard's is where your love for the luminous and the love for gadgets combine. Imagine walking into a room and being greeted by a glitter bomb alarm clock that doesn't just wake you up, it throws a party for your senses. Or how about a spoon that not only sparkles, but serenades you with Barry Manilow hits while you sip your soup? Perfect for those who want their gadgets with a side of glitz. And let's not forget about the mechanical beard trimmer. Oh, the one that trims your whiskers while belting out sea shanties? That's music to my beard? So if you're looking for self-polishing goblets to give your dinner parties that extra pizzazz, or simply need a pyrotechnic pie server, because why not? Head on down to Goblin Beard's Glittery Gadgets and Gadgetry. It's where sparkles meet sprockets and your mundane meets the magical. Tell them Tom and Jen sent you, and who knows, you might just get serenaded by a spatula. Goblin Beard's Glittery Gadgets and Gadgetry. Because everyone deserves a little shimmer in their screwdrivers and a little bling in their bearings. Welcome to our Deep Dive podcast, where we take complex financial topics and break them down for our listeners. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today we are going to explore robust, discrete-time, super-hedging strategies under what's known as AIP condition and how they handle price uncertainty in financial markets. AIP stands for Arbitrage with Intermediate Prices. It's a financial theory that looks at arbitrage opportunities considering price changes that occur within certain periods, which is crucial when prices are uncertain. But first, let's ensure everyone's on the same page. Super hedging is a strategy to ensure that an investment's returns will, at the very least, cover certain costs under all possible scenarios. It's like insurance for your investment against worst-case situations. Right, Jen. 
And in financial markets, discrete time simply means that transactions happen at specific intervals, like the end of every day or month, rather than continuously. Now here's where it gets interesting. Usually in mathematical finance, it's assumed that asset prices are known and given, but this paper challenges that assumption. It proposes that we consider what consider what they call measurable selections of random sets to model asset prices. That's a game changer. This approach allows for modeling a vast array of scenarios, including markets with bid-ask spreads and market impacts, where the exact transaction prices aren't known in advance. They're using something akin to what, in the world of statistics, you might call a random variable, but here it's the price itself that's variable and can fall within a certain set. Now, one key result from this paper is a numerical technique to compute the lowest cost of superhedging under the AIP condition. This is less strict than requiring a risk-neutral martingale measure, which is a common assumption in traditional financial modeling. Their method can numerically solve superhedging problems without that assumption, which is typically hard to justify in real-world markets. Fascinating. So basically, they provide a new lens to look at price uncertainty that's not only closer to the gritty reality of financial markets, but also computationally tractable. Absolutely, Tom. And the practical implications? It means that financial agents could potentially make more informed decisions about their hedging strategies, even when there's ambiguity in market prices, like when there's a delay in order execution. Now let's talk about their methodology. They developed this idea over several sections, starting with a one-period case and then generalizing to a multi-period model. They focused on properties like measurability and convexity, which are essential for constructing the super-hedging strategy over time. And what were their findings? They provided evidence that under AIP, the super-hedging problem is not only solvable, but can be addressed with readily available numerical methods. They even applied their theory to European or Asian options, which are common financial derivatives, and demonstrated how you might use their approach for practical hedging. As for broader impacts on the field, this can evolve how we understand and implement hedging strategies under uncertainty. In conclusion, this paper ventures into uncharted territories of financial modeling under price uncertainty and presents a computationally feasible method for superhedging. The authors have certainly laid solid groundwork for future research, and their model opens the door for financial agents to hedge more effectively against the unknown. And that's a wrap for this episode. We hope you've enjoyed journeying with us through the complex world of financial markets and uncertainty. Stay finance savvy, and we'll catch you in the next episode where we continue to unravel the intricacies of high finance. Are you tired of the same old predictable breakfast? Do you yearn to add a sprinkle of the supernatural to your syrup? Then look no further because Mystic Waffle Alchemy Inc. is about to turn your morning routine into a mystical journey. Imagine biting into a warm, crispy waffle and discovering not just a delight for your taste buds, but a vision for your day. With Mystic Waffle Alchemy's enchanted waffle irons, every square can predict your future. Will you find love, wealth, or perhaps a nap in your near future? You don't need a crystal ball to see good times ahead, just a generous dollop of batter and a preheated iron from Mystic Waffle Alchemy, Inc. But that's not all. Order now and you'll get a complimentary bottle of our Syrup of Sight to drizzle over your prophetic pancakes.
So why settle for breakfast when you can have a breakfast that foretells? Get your Mystic Waffle Alchemy Iron today. And remember, it's not just breakfast, it's destiny with a side of butter. Hello and welcome to our podcast, where we delve into intriguing research and unpack complex ideas for our listeners. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we're exploring a fascinating topic that has ripples across academia and policymaking, quantity versus quality in publication activity, knowledge production at the regional level. This subject is significant because it goes to the heart of how knowledge is created and shared, and it's especially pertinent as regions around the world strive to increase their scientific output. Now let's begin with our introduction by putting this paper in context. This research was conducted by Timur Gareev and Irina Pecker. That's right, and it seeks to address a long-standing debate in academia. Does the push for more publications compromise the quality of research? To answer this, the authors used regional knowledge production functions and a data set of Russian regions spanning from 2009 to 2021. They found that there's indeed a significant correlation between research and development spending and publication productivity. But, but, and this is important, quality factors related to the impact of publications have different influences on quantitative measures. So, to the main concepts, the paper shines a light on the dichotomy between research quantity, the sheer number of publications produced, and research quality, which is measured by established indicators like journal impact factors and citations. The study suggests that rising in the ranks of journal quality might lead to fewer publications overall. Yet the impact of publications, or how often they're cited, can have a positive but decreasing relationship with publication quantity. Turning to the core of our episode, the paper's objectives are clear. How do research quality and quantity interact, and what does this mean for policymakers? The methodology is robust, incorporating panel data models and spatial lags to consider regional, thematic specialization, and cross-sectional dependencies. The key findings are eye-catching. Journal quality and publication impact are intertwined but distinct measures with opposite effects on publication counts. On to implications and applications. The potential impact on the field is vast. This paper could reshape how we think about fostering research productivity, urging policymakers to consider the subtle interplay between quality and quantity. And in conclusion, the study makes us reflect on how we incentivize research activity. It questions purely quantitative metrics and underscores the importance of nuanced indicators to capture the true value of academic contributions. It's a study that challenges us to think deeper about knowledge production. Whether you're an academic, a policymaker, or an inquisitive mind, understanding the dynamics between quality and quantity of research is more critical than ever. We hope this episode has provided a clear, and detailed understanding of this insightful research. Stay tuned for our next episode, where we'll continue to break down complex research in an intuitive way. Thank you for tuning in and see you next time. Have you ever dreamt of dunking on a Martian? Or playing hopscotch on Halley's Comet? Now's your chance. Galactic Giraffe Gigagravity Boots Inc presents the ultimate in cosmic calf extensions. These aren't your grandma's moon boots, folks. No, Sire? Stride, bound, and gamble among the galaxies. Our giraffe-patterned boots are endorsed by zero-gravity zoologists and fashionistas alike. 
and forget about space jetpacks. So last millennium, propel your adventures to Jigga Heights with a spectacular spring. Join the stampede of star trotters and turn the universe into your personal playground. So if you're ready to take a walk on the wild side, or should I say wild upside, Slip your feet into a pair of Galactic Giraffe Jigga Gravity Boots. Be the jumbo jumper you were born to be. Leap tall planets in a single bound. Float like a butterfly, sting like a, well, like a space giraffe. Sponsored by Galactic Giraffe Jigga Gravity Boots, Inc. Because why just explore when you can soar? Disclaimer. Galactic Giraffe Jigga Gravity Boots are not responsible for any interstellar incidents or galactic goof-ups. Always leap responsibly. Thank you.